Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Lillian Madwip has been given a task, a burden to carry from the Angel of Vengeance to murder her own friend. Lily, however, struggles to take on this task, and we learn that not only is she resourceful, kind-hearted, and determined, but has the goal to stand up to angels, even if it is at her detriment. Welcome, listeners, to your next Lillian Madwip story, titled, My Name is Lily Madwip, and I Have to Murder My Friend for a Dead Woman. Gosh, I love these titles, right? So strap yourself in, folks. Pour yourself a lovely rich tea. Turn the lights off, the sound up, and get ready for Lily's next tale. Make sure you check the air in the tires. That's Jamal. He lives next door to me and he's my second best friend, though he thinks he's my first. I'm borrowing his bicycle to get across town to the Red Moon Hotel where my third best friend, Meredith, is currently staying. It's a long story, so let me just get you up to speed. Meredith has a melted Barbie named Nathaniel that makes her able to burn things when she's angry. I mean, like, burn things without matches. I've burned things when I was angry, but they were old journals from second grade, and I used a magnifying glass and the heat from the sun. It took forever, but I managed to burn a hole right through them. That's... that's beside the point. Meredith has to die. The ghost of a dead police officer named Officer Flowers told me this. It was backed up by my doll, Pascal. If I was someone else, this would sound crazy to me. So, I'm not telling Jamal why he's loaning me his bicycle. He thinks because Meredith is in danger from a man who looks very weasel-like, who happened to assault my dad, kidnap me, Crash our car, leaving my dad in a coma, and try to turn Meredith into a supervillain. I guess that's more believable to Jamal. It's been three days since Officer Flowers told me I had to kill Meredith, if I wanted to help my dad out of his coma. I've been going to school every day since then, waiting for her to show up. I'm not sure how I would have killed her if she had shown up. I was still working that out. But when I'm around Meredith, the things I say tend to come true. So I could just tell her that she was going to accidentally stab herself with her pencil and boom. Except that would be awful. Ugh. Just thinking about it makes my tummy hurt. I don't want her to die. I've got to do this though, as an act of vengeance for the angel of death. Because Meredith killed Officer Flowers. On purpose, I think. Maybe by accident? Whatever the reason, Officer Flowers died and wants revenge. And now it's my job. Lily. Hey. Lily. Jamal snaps his fingers in front of my face. I was zoning out again. You okay? Yeah, I'll check the air in the tires. Meredith didn't show up for school. Not Wednesday, not Thursday, and not Friday. I should have figured she wouldn't. I mean, I ended up with two broken ribs, trapped in a burning house. Meredith's house, and my dad in a coma, and I still went back to school the next day. But if I didn't have to kill Meredith, I'd probably have taken the rest of the week off. Instead, 
I spent those days gathering information about where she was. Obviously, she didn't go back to the home of her foster parents, because it was all burned up and taped off by police as a crime scene. So where did they go? Thankfully, the town isn't huge, so word gets around. According to Bobby Sedwick, from 6th grade, the Lakes, Meredith's foster parents, moved into the Red Moon Hotel just off the highway. He heard this from his dad who works at the post office where Mr. Lake stopped by and asked them to forward his mail there until their house got repaired. Bobby told Tyler O'Neill because they always play kickball together. Tyler told everybody else, except me. I just happened to overhear two girls talking about it while I sat on the swings at morning recess on Thursday. They like Tyler a lot. He's popular because he's good at sports. I've packed my backpack for the trip. A flashlight in case I go someplace dark. Check. A screwdriver for taking screws off things. Check. They always got to unscrew stuff in movies, especially in hotels. Hotel killings is like 90% crawling through air vents, if movies are to be believed. Two chocolate bars. Check. Jamal gave me those. He said, take these. And I said, why? And he said, in case you get hungry. He's so nice. A knife, in case things get desperate. Check. Mum didn't see me stuff it in my sweatshirt sleeve at breakfast. It's kind of gross because it had butter on it. And now my arm is all greasy. Extra socks. Check. You never know when you need extra socks. And of course, there's Pascal, poking his head at the top of the backpack. Check. I've also got a $20 bill I borrowed from Mum's purse this morning. She might not notice it's missing because she usually carries a bunch of money for taking clients out to lunch. My mum is an executive. I asked her once what an executive does, and she said they execute people. Then she and dad laughed. I wonder if they'd be laughing now, knowing that I am following in her footsteps. Hey, Jamal, I say as I zip up my backpack and throw it over my shoulder. Yeah, be careful going up the front steps or you're going to trip and scrape your knee. I climb on his bike, but it's too high up, so I straddled the top tube. And thanks for the bike and the chocolates. He grins at me. I'll go around the back and just avoid the stairs altogether. Jamal always listens to me. Thursday night, I looked at the map to find the quickest way to get to the Red Moon Hotel, and then used the little scale thing on the map to figure out how far away it was. Because it would take about half an hour, I figured the best time to go would be Saturday morning, while my mum was at her Pilates class. She's there right now, thinking I'm at home watching cartoons or up in my room painting a still life, not peddling my way out of the neighbourhood with only a vague sense of where I'm going and a backpack full of murder tools. She'd flip out if she knew I left the house, because the weasel-like guy Felix knows where I live and is still out there. She wouldn't have gone to Pilates class at all if I hadn't promised to keep all the doors locked and the cordless phone within reach. The ride across town is uneventful. I keep an eye out for cars following me. Felix is a nasty customer, as they say. He gets in your head, knows your secrets, and when me or Meredith are nearby, he somehow makes you think and act in ways that you wouldn't normally. I don't really understand it all. Neither does Pascal. He admitted to me the whole boost we get when we're around each other is an unexpected side effect. 
that's why it was decided by whoever makes decisions that those of us with totems should be kept away from each other. Pascal is my totem. Meredith's is her melted Barbie Nathaniel. Supposedly, that's his totem for Raziel. The Angel of Secrets. But I haven't exactly gotten to talk to Raziel, so I can't be sure. A half hour peddling, with a five minute break to eat chocolate, it is kind of boring. So I distract myself by singing. Going down to Cowtown, cow's a friend to me. Living beneath the ocean, that's where I'll be. I can only ever remember the chorus of that song. At least I know all the lyrics to Take On Me and Don't Stop Believing. So I switch to those tunes every now and then. The journey is made slightly more interesting by the fact that having Duma with me makes me sense things differently. I can hear birds flapping their wings and see trails of what I guess are auras or something that people leave whenever they walk around. Things are a lot noisier with Duma. Beneath the waves, the waves. That's where I'll be. I wonder what Meredith is doing at the hotel. Maybe she's spending all her time in the pool. Would that cancel out her fire? Probably not. I'll bet she can keep the water nice and warm though. Pools and hotels are always chilly. Hell, she could probably even stew people in it. Yikes. Note to self, stay out of the pool. Duma asks if he can teach me a new song. I tell him no, because I don't really like Duma. He seemed really snobby and isn't even really there. The badge attached to my shirt with the name of Officer Flowers Town is a ghost badge and I can't get rid of it. When I take my shirt off, it appears pinned to my skin, which really freaks me out. I can hear the cars on the highway well before I get close to it. Up ahead is the Red Moon Hotel. Whoever designed the sign for it was lazy, because there's nothing indicating the big red circle in the moon except that the name of the hotel is the Red Moon Hotel. It could just as easily be the Red Circle Hotel or the Red O Hotel. Red Pizza Pie Hotel. Now I want a piece of pizza. We're gonna see the cow beneath the sea. I parked Jamal's bike behind the dumpster and lock it to a rail. He told me his lock combination so the bike wouldn't get stolen. I think at this point my mission should be one of stealth. The fewer people that know I was ever here, the better. There's an old man with a big white beard in the little office building where people check in. Pascal says his name is Rudolfo. That sounds too much like the name of Santa's reindeer. Apparently he's from Italy, and it's best I don't know what type of magazine he's reading. But he is reading it, and got his feet up on the desk. So he's not paying any attention to a little, nine-year-old girl with her backpack creeping past his door. However, he's going to flip the page and check the clock in less than a minute. So I scoot by just before he does. It really helps to see things before they happen, when you're trying not to be seen. Jeez, there's like a hundred rooms here. Or forty. I guess forty is a better estimate. I walk along the rows of doors that look out towards the parking lot and the highway. Someone's watching television and there's a commercial for heartburn relief on. Someone else is taking a shower and using soap that smells like a punch in the face from a leprechaun. All the sounds and smells are making me want to plug my ear and nose. But the worst part is the sheer number of cockroach tippy-taps I hear. 
So many cockroaches. I hear every skittering sound they make with their little feet. I feel like if I got any more sensitive, I'd be reading their tiny brain thoughts. Do cockroaches even have thoughts? I imagine if I was a cockroach, all I'd think about was how gross I was. I pass room 34 and suddenly the air gets darker. There's smoke. Oh my god! The hotel is on fire! No wait, that's just me. Oh my god. I'm on fire! Except there's no heat or flames. Oh, oh, this is that black smoke that came off Officer Flowers. This is a sign. Meredith, I'm getting closer to her. I wonder if she'll be able to see this black smoke. Shoot, this is not stealthy at all. Just as I reach the next hotel room, the door to room 36 opens and Mrs. Lake, Meredith's foster mama, walks out. She doesn't seem to notice me and turns in the opposite direction, heading toward her car, I guess, leaving a trail of faint blue aura behind her. She's got her keys with her, so she must be going somewhere. Moments later, I watch her drive off. Room 36, this is it. This is Meredith's room. I crouch down and drop my backpack. Got to be quick, can't think, in and out. Kill Meredith, save Dad. I test the doorknob gently. Locked. Nobody's coming. The black smoke that's covering me is seeping under the door. I really hope she doesn't see it. I can hear her inside, watching a cartoon. I pull out the screwdriver and go to take the doorknob off. I don't even know if that works. You know what? It doesn't matter because I brought one of those screwdrivers with a cross thingy tip. And these screws use the flat kind. Ah, oh, great. I put the stupid screwdriver back and pull out the knife. Maybe I can jimmy the lock. I wonder who Jimmy was that they named breaking locks after him. I bet he was a burglar or something. Jimmy, the cat burglar. Now I'm wondering why they call them cat burglars. The hamburglar steals hamburgers. So a cat burglar must steal cats? But why? Maybe nobody would sell them cats anymore. After all, I imagine most pet stores in the area have a photo of me with a sign that reads, Do not sell to this customer. I'm in the middle of that thought when the door opens and Meredith is standing there. Lily, what are you doing? I'm kneeling in front of your hotel door with a butter knife. What does it look like? Meredith, hi! How do you know where I was? Did the angels tell you? She opens the door further. That's a really tiny hotel room. It looks like her foster parents sleep in separate beds too. And Meredith has a sleeping bag on the floor. Oh, she's watching Bugs Bunny. No, actually I heard it at school. I stand up and stuff the butter knife up my sleeve. She sees me do it though, so it's kind of pointless. You haven't been coming to class, so I came to find you. I, uh, came to say sorry about your house burning down. And your turtle dying. Are you watching Bugs Bunny? She nods. Yeah, do you want to come in? Sure. I grab my backpack and follow her into the tiny hotel room. There's clothes all over the beds. I can tell the difference between the clean clothes and the dirty clothes from the smell. It's really distracting. Duma takes this moment to start singing. It startles me. 
but fortunately, Meredith can't hear it and she looks away just as I jump. Shall my soul ascend with rapture when the day of life is past? While my house of clay shall slumber, shall I then with Jesus rest? Oh my god, shut it! I snap at him. Meredith looks back at me. What? I clench up. The door. We should shut the door. It's not safe outside. Oh, yeah. She shuts the door behind us. Alright, I'm in. I... I've got to do this. How? What way would be the gentlest? I don't want her to suffer. I can't just say, you're going to die. Because what if the manner is violent and painful? Maybe I tell her that she's going to die in her sleep. But even that could be painful. If she chokes on her tongue, or the TV falls on her head. We got Oreos if you want any. Oh, Oreos! Actually, I have a chocolate bar if you want a piece. Meredith smiles and sighs. I'm really glad you showed up. I've been so worried about you. And I miss school, and you. Did I say I'm glad you're here? Yeah. Well, I am. If that Felix guy shows up, this time I'll burn him alive. Suddenly, she grabs me and squeezes me in a big hug. It hurts. Ow, ow, ribs, my ribs. I moan. Oh, sorry. She lets go. I rub my achy side. It's okay. I missed you too. How am I supposed to kill this girl? I can't do this. I shouldn't have come here. There's black smoke everywhere too. And that's really annoying. I can feel it on my legs, this cold, oily feeling. And I want it to stop. But it's not going to until either Meredith is dead or I'm gone. Duma starts bossing me around. Tell her that she's going to die. Just be done with this. Shut up, Duma. Actually, Meredith... My brain is going haywire with all the sounds and smells, and I'm trying to see how she dies in my head, but all I see is this stupid black smoke. I... I would love some Oreos. Okay, me too. Mrs. Lake, my mum, went out to the store just like a minute ago. She'll be back, but if you want, we can watch cartoons and just hang out. Sounds good. The badge on my shirt flashes angrily. If you won't get this done, I'll handle things. Duma says, and then the badge fades from my shirt. What does that mean? The cold oiliness leaves my legs, and I watch as the smoke that's all around my feet start to move like water, gathering up beside me. In a moment, it seems to take on the form of a person, like I'm standing in front of a bright light, and my shadow is projected on the air beside me. I stare at it. It looks back at me. It is me. What the f- I start to say. The shadow steps past me, toward Meredith, who's hunched over going through a grocery bag by the little fridge that comes with the room. I don't know how this works, but if she dies there, she's going to crush all the Oreos. The shadow's legs look like they're connected to mine. So I step back, dragging Duma away from Meredith as he reaches for her. He turns. Stop it. He tells me. Just let me do this and we can be done. He tells me. What the what? Meredith stands up and walks right through Duma's shadow. 
I tense up, thinking she's going to turn to dust or drop straight dead or something. But instead, she hands me Oreos like a good friend, smiles, and then goes to sit on the far bed. I can't take it anymore. I stick the Oreos in my pockets. Meredith, I have to be honest. Okay. She brushes her hair out of her milky eye and looks at me. Dumas' shadow drifts towards her. I feel like Peter Pan if Peter Pan's shadow was trying to murder all the Lost Boys. I take a deep breath. I have to tell you this fast because there's an angel who's seriously trying to kill you right now. But the lady in black who you killed in your home was after Felix, not you. And now, her angry ghost has told me that if I kill you, she'll help my dad who's in a coma. And the real reason I came here was to... to... I can't say it outright. I'm such a terrible friend. Do get my dad out of the coma. I try to grab the smokiness that I'm projecting, and pull Dumas' shadow back like he's on a rope. But it's no good. My hands just go right through it. Instead, I step back, dragging him with me. He looks at me again, and I can tell he's glaring at me even if I can't see his face. Or her face, because it's my shadow. He looks just like my silhouette. What I just said is still sinking in with Meredith. Wait, you came here to kill me? I didn't want to. You're my best friend. Third best, really. I don't need to say that, though. Is the room getting hotter? I can see Meredith clenching her fists slightly. No, 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 no. That's not a good sign. No, no fire, Meredith. But... I hold up my hands like maybe I can ward off her burning me alive. But I got a better idea. Because friends don't kill friends, right? Friends don't kill friends. Meredith nods. She unclenches her fists. What are you doing, Lily? Pascal asks. Pascal says that if you give me your Barbie, the one I told you has an angel in it, I can use her to stop Felix. No, don't do that. I never said that. Meredith looks at her sleeping bag. Barbie? But... Duma's shadow lurches forward, and his hand goes right into Meredith's chest. Whatever she was about to say is cut off by her gasping out in pain. I leap back, banging against the door, but Duma doesn't come with me. He's got his hand on her heart, or something, and he's holding on, rather than getting pulled with me. He's going to kill her. Stop! Duma, stop! stop. I yell. He ignores me. Meredith makes a choking sound and falls back on the bed, her arms flailing at her sides. I can't watch this happen. I need to do something. She looks at her sleeping bag. Nathaniel in the melted Barbie must be in there. I run over to it. It's actually a really soft sleeping bag and got one of those built-in pillows. Fancy. The one we use in my family is like an heirloom, I think. Passed down from my dad's great-great-great-great-grandfather. Also, I think someone peed in it centuries ago, and it didn't get washed for a long time after. There's always this smell. Never mind that. Nathaniel is right there in the bag. I grab him and urgently declare, Run! Run. So, I do just that. I'm hoping if I get far enough away. At the hotel room door into the parking lot, past several parked cars, and after a few more feet, the black smoke that was trailing off me like a waterfall vanishes. From the open hotel door I hear Meredith suddenly scream, followed 
by a loud crash. Other people poke their heads out of their rooms and start asking each other where it came from. I hear a couple of different people dialing on their phones and calling for emergency services. Man, I can't go 10 minutes around Meredith without emergency services being called. It's ridiculous. Officer Flowers' ghost badge reappears pinned to my shirt. Do you have any idea what you've done? I hear Dumas shouting. The badge isn't just shining with his words, it's glowing. It's like an oven burner when you set it to the highest temperature. I think that if it weren't a ghost badge, it would be burning me. I ignore him and run without looking back. Rudolfo, the Italian hotel manager, comes hurrying out of his office and past me. Me? I finally snap at Dumas. What kind of angel tries to kill a little kid? I cut around the corner and back to Jamal's bicycle, locked behind the dumpster. The angel of death. You need to go back and finish this. Pascal says grimly. Carrying three totems is dangerous. You're attracting the wrong sort of attention. Samael, I'm not going to kill Meredith. I hiss at all the voices. They're distracting me too much and making it hard to remember Jamal's bike lock combination. I'm going to kill Felix. Felix Clay is only in town because of Meredith. Without her totem, he will have no reason to take out his revenge on her for what he perceives as the murder of his son. With her totem, she will continue to pose a threat by being near you. You're talking too much. I can't think. You are making things worse. I pound my fist on the bike seat. I didn't ask for any of this. I can see heat building through my fingers. They all go quiet. Thank God. I'm able to think and focus on the combination. Once it's off, I hop back on Jamal's bike and start pedaling toward home. Along the way, an ambulance drives by. It's lights not flashing, which I hope is a good sign that I managed to keep Duma from killing Meredith. I'm sorry, Meredith. I'm so angry at Duma. I scream at the top of my lungs. Some kids playing in the front yard look at me like I'm crazy. Maybe I am crazy. Lily, Pascar says. What do you want? I don't want to talk to Pascar. I don't want to talk to Nathaniel either. I especially don't want to talk to Duma. You need to go back to the motel. I told you I'm not going back. I'm not killing one of the only two people in this world who is really my friend. You angels are screw-ups. You made a mistake. And now you're putting all this on me to fix your screw-up. Well, that's not very grown-up. You need to turn around right now. I am not killing Meredith. Dumas speaks next. I grit my teeth because his snobby voice just boils my blood and the padding on the handlebars of Jamal's bike is starting to smolder. I can sense the heat building up in my hands, even though it doesn't hurt. It's red hot like the rage in my head. Lily, Dumas says, we won't ask you to kill Meredith and I should never have tried to do it myself. You must go back to the hotel though. I slow my pedaling. For what? I snarl. 
Look behind you. I pull the bicycle over and look back. The two kids who watched me scream as I rode past are jumping up and down, shouting and pointing. Who wouldn't? There's a tree in an adjoining yard, and the whole thing is up in flames. Burning branches are collapsing under their own weight. It's a roaring inferno. What just happened? I whisper. Pascal answers. Felix Clay just drove by in a stolen ambulance. Shit. Holy moly. Lily does not quit and neither does Felix Clay. Gotta love that name as well, right? Felix Clay. Hangs around in the mind. I wonder what their inspiration is around Felix as a character. Maybe one day we'll find out. Also, what the heck happened to Meredith there? The scream? The crash? Yikes, I hope she's okay. And now Felix is on Lily's tail. It seems like he's more after the totem rather than Meredith at this point. Perhaps Felix's agenda was never to kill Meredith in fact, but the whole time was to control that totem for power. Also, Lily mentions that Rezael has never talked to her. So I wonder what Felix's totem actually is. Is it really the locket of his son? At this point, probably not. What do you think? Am I on track here? What are your thoughts? Go on, share them and let us all know. I know my listeners are keen detectives, so I'm keen to hear your thoughts. And this Wednesday, mates, I'm going to read some listener stories. So I'll break it up a bit here and get back to the finale, at least I think it's the finale, on Friday. So, as always, mates, till next time.